What's up, fam? Hey, guys. Hey, let's welcome in our whole family online, as well as all the spaces here. We got family from India and Israel and Colombia with us. So come on. Let's welcome everybody in today. Hey, guys. We are today, we are in week six of the series that we're calling Blessed. Everybody say Blessed blessed. If you want to be blessed, you are in the right place today. Uh, but here's the deal, okay? That, that word blessed is often like what we would just say like a misunderstood word in our culture, right? Like, you know, when, because for many of us, whenever we think of the word blessed, we think of all the stuff that we want God to give us, right? Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Ladies, you pray, God bless me with a fine husband. Who can make it rain? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Guys, you pray, God bless me with a baddie. Come on. Give me a fine looking girl. Come on. God bless me with a raise at work. God bless me by canceling my student debt. <laughs> you, know, you, you ever, you ever um, like go to Chick-fil-A and you get the number six combo, the eight count nugget, and then you open up the bag and Shekinah glory has just come down. You say, God has blessed me with the ninth nugget of glory. There is nothing better than a free nugget. And you're like, God is making his, his presence just to shine down on me today. Um, and, and here's the idea, guys. That, that's all well and good. That's all great. I love all the stuff that God wants to give us, right? Um, but whenever we think of the word blessed, we think of all the things that we want God to do for us. But I have even better news because better than what God wants to do for you are the things that God wants to do in you. That the greatest blessing is not what God wants to do around you, but he wants to do in you, because the greatest blessing that God could ever do in you is produce inside you the life, the character, the DNA, the joy, the passion, the zeal, the purity of Jesus Christ. The greatest blessing that God could ever give you is to make you more like Jesus. And so we are on that journey here this year through uh, what's uh, often called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus's most popular sermon, Matthew chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. And it's here in the Sermon on the Mount that, that God is doing just that. He is, he is forming us to make us more like Jesus. And what he's doing over the course of these, these three chapters, okay, is he's actually developing this inner core being on the inside of us that will actually be so strong and so rooted and so grounded that it doesn't matter what life throws at us, that in the end of all of that, no matter what it is, we'll still be found standing, right? And so Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with what's called the Beatitudes, or really Beatitude actually means blessing. So it's, he begins with the blessings, these eight blessed ways of being. And here it is. Okay, let's read through it again real quick. Matthew chapter five, verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. And I think what's really important for us, just, let's just kind of go back to the foundation of all this again really quickly, is that th these are not eight different people that Jesus is looking for. 
right? He's not like, like, you know, you're a little bit poor in spirit and like you're a little bit meek, right? These aren't eight different people that Jesus is trying to find. No, this is one person, us, you, that Jesus is endeavoring to impart his eight of his ways of life, his ways of being into, right? And as we begin to become more like him, as we begin to walk this way, that the angels, they stand, and in essence, that idea, that understanding of the word bless, makarios in the Greek, that the angels stand up, and they say, congratulations, you're blessed, because you're beginning to look like him, and talk like him, and walk like him, and act like him. You are blessed. You may not always feel blessed, but you are blessed. And what's really, the other thing that's really important for us to understand, okay, is that these eight things, these eight Beatitudes, these aren't just randomly ordered. These aren't just eight random things that Jesus says. No, the Beatitudes build, okay? There's an intentional order that Jesus lays these out in. So maybe, maybe think of it like this, okay? Is the, the first three, being poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn and those who are meek, that's emptying yourself, okay? So think about it like this. We say, God, fill us. The problem is God can't fill us if we're still full of us. So first off, we have to empty us. Then we get to the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now we've emptied ourselves. Now we're beginning to be filled with the things of God, right? Now we arrive at five, six, and seven, where where, uh, uh, merciful, the pure in heart and the peacemakers, what it looks like to begin living life full of God until we arrive at the final beatitude, the eighth one, which where it looks like to actually live this life out where we're being persecuted for righteousness sake. So just in essence, here's the journey, okay? Here's the beautiful journey. If you're with us on this whole ride, okay? We begin with being poor in spirit, saying, God, I am nothing, have nothing, can do nothing. I'm so broken, I'm so wicked, I have nothing to offer. That's the first beatitude. And by the time we get to number eight, we're so like Jesus that we're being persecuted like he was. That's the journey we're on. Okay, that's it, and the four of y'all are really excited. As I know we just talked about being persecuted. You're like, I don't know. I'm not sure about that one. Okay, that's two more weeks. Don't worry. You still got two more weeks to prepare for that one, okay? You better be here on that one, though. Don't be like, well, that's the one I'm going to skip. No. This is the journey we're on, okay? And so today we arrive at the sixth beatitude, which I would believe, I, I believe, I, I call it, it's the most beautiful beatitude with the most beautiful promise. And it's here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Here's, here's what Jesus says. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Oh, God. Let's leave that up there just for a second. Am I the only one who is simultaneously encouraged and discouraged when I read that? Right? Come on, let's be honest. Okay? I am so encouraged because it says I can see God. And so I get my hopes up. But then I read about what's it going to take to see God. And I'm like... Pfft because I know the state of my heart is not pure like it should be, right? It's not pure like it should be. And here's what I really want us to notice, okay? Jesus does not say, blessed are the pure in head. Okay? This, this whole journey, this, being a Christian, being a Christ follower isn't only about doctrine, even though it is about doctrine. You have to have right belief, right? Okay? But it's not only about doctrine. Jesus also does not says, say, blessed are the pure in hands, which is really what we would expect him to say. But it's not saying that our, how we live our lives doesn't matter. Absolutely how we live our lives matter. But it's not only about how we live our lives. 
And what Jesus is trying to do right here, guys, it's so important, it's untalked about, so therefore we don't think about it, is Jesus is trying to get beneath the surface and get to the center of it all. He's getting to this thing called the heart. So what is the heart? Okay, what is the heart? I just say it very simply. Biblically, the heart is the real you. Okay, listen. Okay, is it too early to be having this conversation? Right? Listen, here's the idea, guys. You can fool everybody, but you can't fool God. Because the heart is the real you. And man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. Right? God sees beneath the surface. So what is the heart? The heart is the real you. The heart is your mind, your will, your emotions. It is your intellect. It's your feelings. It's your motivations. The heart is the real you. And in Proverbs, it says it really simply. Proverbs 27, 19 says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. That's the real you. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, blessed are those who are pure, not just on the surface, but at the source. At the center of your very being, you are pure. Because everybody else sees this. And you know a little bit of this, but God's the one who really knows the real this. And so it's not just being clean out here. It's about being clean in here. And all throughout the Bible, God, you'll see it now when you read. All throughout the Bible, God is talking about the heart. He's going back to the heart. Because the heart is the real you. Not the part that everybody else sees. It's the real you. All the the, the gooey center of who you are. That is the heart. And God looks at the heart. And so I love this. Matthew 15, we see this kind of portrayed in one of the best ways. And here Jesus does what Jesus is always doing. Jesus is picking fights with the Pharisees. I love it, the religious leaders of the Pharisees. Okay, Matthew 15 says, then some Pharisees came up and they're asking a question. They're saying, Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, I know for us, we're like, well, gross. Yeah, you should wash your hands. No, no, that's not what they're talking about. They're not talking about washing their hands. They're talking about ritual purification, um, and here's the, here's the idea, guys. These Pharisees, at that time, their, their idea of purity was that you would get impure from the outside in. Like, so therefore, they did not go bad places. They did not be around bad people. They weren't around places where bad things was happening. Why? Because impurity works its way from the outside in. So all their focus was on ritual purity, not touching bad things, going bad places. But here's, here's really what Jesus is trying to get us to be an understanding, is that the Pharisees were more concerned with washing their hands than washing their hearts. They were more concerned about having clean hands than they were about pu- clean hearts. They were more concerned about having pure hands than they were about having a pure heart. And so we jump ahead to verse 7, and Jesus says, you hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And here again, guys, what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, he's saying it's possible to look great on the outside, to say the right thing, to do the right thing. Come on, to worship at the top of our lungs. Come on, ladies, to put on your church hat. Come on, man, to put on your, to, to put on your Sunday best, right? 
And we come in here and we worship at the top of our lungs and we're in the building, but our hearts are a million miles away. It's possible to look like you love God, but in your heart you hate God. And here's the, here's the reality, guys. Here's the reality. I can't judge that because listen, listen, all I see is the outside. And so I don't know. But God sees what's happening in the heart. He sees it all. So Jesus, I love this, he kind of he heismans the Pharisees for a second. He kind of pushes them away. And he calls the crowd to him. He says, guys, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. It doesn't, the purity doesn't work the direction you think that it does. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart, everybody say out of the heart. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Everybody say, out of the heart. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, slander. Listen, whoop, whoop, whoop. Listen, what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that sexual morality, lying, and murder are not just outward sin issues. Those things don't just poof, appear out of nowhere. All those things begin in the heart. It's really a heart issue. It doesn't work from the outside in. It works from the inside out. Okay, let me say it like this. I don't know if y'all getting it, okay? Here's something that people love to say. The devil made me do it. <laughs> Stop lying. Devil ain't make you do nothing. Let me say it like this. If you're a Christian, the devil can't make you do nothing. He can. He has no control over your life. Right? And so, you know, the, the devil made me sleep with my girlfriend. The devil made you go out, grab some dinner, get some drinks, go back to her place, put on a movie, get drunk, lay down on the couch, snuggle. I don't know, then the devil just made us do it. I don't know. The devil didn't make you do nothing. You did it because your heart wanted to do it. And then your flesh acted on it. It didn't begin on the outside. It's not about the outside. It's about the inside. Guys, outward sin begins with inward heart issues. And the problem is our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are broken. Hearts are sinful. And this is why we should all corporately cringe whenever we hear somebody say like, hey, friend, just follow your heart. Just trust your heart. What's your heart telling you to do? Just go do it. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? And like, who can know the heart? Because your heart lies to you all the time. Your heart says, no, we're going over here to do this. No, no, you know what you're about to do. And your heart lies to you. Your heart is deceitful. I don't care what Oprah tells you. You can't trust your heart. Can't trust your heart. Your heart will get you in trouble. Outside of Christ, your heart, your, your heart is the reason why you are where you are today. Because the outward life reflects the inward, right? That The life reflects the heart, the real you, right? And what Jesus is saying, guys, is that our hearts determine our lives. And here's the big overarching problem, okay? There is a disease that has infected mankind throughout all history, all around the world, all the way back to the garden. 
and it's called heart disease. And it's a disease that turns us against the living God. It's a disease that only wants what smells good, tastes good, feels good. It's a disease that will cause you to drive off a cliff. And God is standing there saying, whoa. And you're like, no, I'm just gonna follow my heart. My heart's telling me to do it. No, man, your heart's broken. Your heart's wicked. And your heart's, even worse, deceitful. Your heart will lie to you and say, I know you think it's not up there and it's really not up there, but it feels like it's up there, so keep going for it. And here's the problem. The only one who can cure heart disease is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He's the only one. Who can cure it? Who can know it? Jesus can. So here's the deal. Let's kind of walk through, through these truths just for a minute, okay? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So here's the first question. How, how can I become pure in heart? Okay, here's what we got to do. First thing is this. We got to get a pure heart. Okay, now you're like, wow. Wow. <laughs> yes. Okay, let me explain, okay? The first thing we have to do is we have to let God deal with our sinful hearts. That's really what it is. Because again, outside of Christ, my heart is dead. My heart delights in things that want to kill me. All right? That sin, sin is not your friend. Sin, sin, sin isn't just something there to feel good. Sin is the carrot in front of you leading you off a cliff. All right? And we have to allow the Lord to come in and deal with that place in our heart. And apart from Christ, we are dead. But God. Come on. But God. If it wasn't for God, we'd be lost. Right? And he gives us this great promise. All right? Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Am I in the right place today? Praise God. Come on, God didn't have to save us, but he did. Has that grown tired on the church? Come on, that we can be saved? Do we think we deserve it at some point or something? like? Come on, guys, this is something. May, may the cross never fade in producing passion in our hearts. Right? Like, praise God. If I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I will be saved, okay? But I want us to pay attention to this, okay? Again, Jesus does not say confess with your mouth and believe in your head. Why? Because even the demons believe that Jesus is God. And they're terrified. Listen, we've cast out demons. I've cast out demons. You better believe demons know Jesus is God. They do, and they're terrified of them. But they're not saved. You ever heard of any saved demons? No, because they know it. It's what we would call intellectual assent. It's something that they know, but they've never actually received it because they can't into their heart. Okay? We can know things with our head as kind of like these detached truths that live out there, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this faith coming inside the very center of who we are, that I believe Jesus Christ is God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe the Father raised him again on the third day, and my whole life is oriented around that truth, and it has radically reformed me from the inside out. And when that happens on the inside of you, when you believe in your heart, you will be saved. And here's what he says. The good news just keeps on coming after that. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. You were washed. You were made clean. You were sanctified. You were made holy. And you were justified just as if I had never sinned, restored to right relationship to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And guys, here's what happened. Maybe you, you haven't had it explained to you before. When you came to faith in Jesus, 
your heart was made pure. You got a pure heart. Okay, scripture would say it like this. God took out of you a heart of stone and put in a new heart. And the blood of Jesus Christ washed you clean of all your sin. And now when the Father looks at you, you are as pure as Jesus. You're as pure as Jesus. I know some of you are like, but you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But the Father does, and he took what you have done, and he nailed it into the feet of Jesus, and he nailed it into the hands of Jesus, and it was thrust into the side of Jesus, and it was pressed down on his head as a crown of thorns, that on the cross, the Father punished your sins in his son's body so you could be pure, and so you could be clean, and so you could be holy. And because of that, you have a pure heart. You have a pure heart. But here's the deal. I know, I know we fight with this, but I still sin. How do I reconcile it? How do I reconcile that I'm a saint who still sins? You ever wondered that before? Anybody? All of us? Okay, here's what we have to do. We have to do a few things, okay? First off, we have to differentiate just for the moment, just for a moment, because we can't camp out here. We have to differentiate between the outside life and the inside life. Okay, I know your outside isn't holy, but what's going on inside? Because I've been doing this long enough. Here's what I know. Okay, here's what I know. Two people can be doing exactly the same sin, but their hearts are going in opposite directions. Right? Summer and I have set, let's just say, Summer and I have set with girls, right? Who independently of each other, they're both sleeping with their boyfriends, right? One of them has a sinful, rebellious heart that is pushing away and rebelling against the living God. The other one has a heart that is broken and contrite and weeping and saying, God, woe is me. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do are the things that I do. God, would your compassion and your kindness lead me to repentance and change me? It's possible to be doing the same thing, but your hearts are moving in different directions. So for a moment, you have to differentiate between the outside and the inside. Here's the question. Is your heart groaning to be pure? Is your heart longing to obey God? Right? Are Are you finding that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? Then that's the father beginning to produce the life of the son on the inside of you. That's evidence you're born again. Okay? He's working. He's working his purity into you. In fact, here's what I'd say. I... This is a scripture, listen, don't put it up yet, that I wish somebody had shown me 20 years ago. Okay, it's Hebrews 10, 14. I wish somebody had shown this to me. Let's put it up here. That for one, by one sacrifice, Jesus Christ, God, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Oh man, this is about to mess with your life. God's about to rescue some of you, Okay. For by one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Are you still, are you, okay, everybody just take a deep breath. <sighs> Through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been made perfect forever. But, 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 no, 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 no buts. You are perfect forever that when God looks at you, you have the righteousness of Jesus. It's as if you had never sinned. You've been made perfect forever. 
and now you're being made holy. It's this idea, you'll find this throughout uh, even the New Testament, that you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. You have been made perfect forever, and now you're being made holy. Here's what that means. You are pure forever, and you're being made pure day by day by day by day. The Father, maybe you've experienced this before, the Father's chiseling off parts of you that gotta go. The Father's beginning to transform and renew your mind, change your thinking. He's, he's giving you this like DNA exchange with Jesus that you don't even find yourself in certain ways and, and times and steps of maturity. You don't find yourself still attracted to the same things you used to be attracted to. That's because you've been made perfect forever and now you're being made holy. And guys, here's the reality. Your heart is eternally made pure when you're born again. And now the challenge from Jesus is to keep our hearts pure day by day by day by day. The fact that our hearts are pure in eternity does not absolve us of the responsibility to keep our heart pure today. Because we've been made perfect forever, but now we're being made holy. And let me, let me just clarify, this is a hinge moment, okay? Is that blessed are the pure in heart, for they, they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart is not ultimately referring to being made perfect forever. The, 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 the initial salvation, what initially happens inside our heart when we come to Jesus. That's how we get a pure heart. But what Jesus is talking about, blessed are the pure in heart, he's talking about those who keep a pure heart Day by day by day by day, they will see God. So how can I become pure in heart? I gotta get a pure heart. Second thing is this. I then have to guard that pure heart. Have you ever found this out? That the devil wants your heart? You know you got an enemy targeting your heart? The enemy wants to pollute your heart. The enemy wants to get stuff inside your heart. The enemy wants to get you deceived and, and, and arguing and offended. The enemy wants to get you in victim mentality. The enemy just wants you to get, get you isolated. The enemy wants to get you impure. The enemy wants to get you into idolatry. But the Father wants to get you holy. The Father wants to, wants to give you life and life more abundantly. The Father wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. The Father wants to, to so impart the life of Jesus into you that you can let your light shine so that others would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The Father wants your heart to be a garden, not a desert. Therefore, Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. Your life works from the inside out. So here's the deal. Why do I have to guard my heart? Okay, here, let's say it. What's outside you can't make you impure. Okay, again, Jesus hung out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst, and he was pure all day long. Can you do that? That's the question. Maybe you can, maybe you can't right now in this season of your life. Okay, so here's the deal. What's outside you can't make you impure, but what's outside you can influence you. Okay, so what I have to do, I think about it like this. I have to set up a guard tower in my soul to be on the lookout for anything that's trying to come in and influence me, right? And just in the same way, I'm not gonna let a punk stranger come into my house and mess with my kids. You better believe I'm not gonna let the punk devil come in and start messing with my heart. Because out of my heart flow the issues of life. And so we got to guard our hearts. 
And I, I have to guard my hearts in the two main entryways, the gateways, all right? what I would call the, the, the two main uh, on-ramps onto the interstate of my heart are my eyes and my ears. I gotta guard it, man. I gotta guard it. I'm not saying be a prude unless you need to be a prude right now. What's influencing you? Because here's the deal. We're not called to be, um, uh, you know, uh, what did we say? We're not called to be thermometers. We're called to be thermostats. A thermometer is influenced by everything around it. A, th- a thermostat changes the things around it, right? You're called to be in it, but not of it. And here's the good news, guys. You can be in it and influence it, but if you're in it and it's influencing you, you need to take a step back. So let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. I'm not telling you what you can watch on TV, but the Holy Spirit is. I'm not telling you what movies to go to or not to go to, but the Holy Spirit is. I'm not telling you who you can be friends with and not be friends with, but the Holy Spirit is. Are you influencing them or are they influencing you? I'm not telling you places you can go and not go, but the Holy Spirit is. I'm not telling you how much you should be on social media or who you should follow or what you should listen to, but the Holy Spirit is. I'm not telling you where you should go with with a group of friends or, or a girl or a guy or anything like that, but the Holy Spirit is. And the enemy has, I would just say, the enemy has set up a culture of, of, of wicked farmers that are sowing seed. And we have to be careful what we allow to get in us because we gotta be in it, but not of it. But if we're in it and of it, we gotta get out of it because we gotta guard our hearts, all right? So whatever that means for you, if you're younger and you're in school, here, I'd say it like this. If you're in a college degree program and whatever's being taught is pulling your heart away from God, get out of it. Well, I already put in $30,000. Is that worth your soul? Well, I'm in this job and I gotta miss church and I gotta miss this. What is, is, is having a nicer house worth your eternity? We gotta guard it. Guys, here's, the, here, here's a really good question. Deal with this with the Holy Spirit. What boundaries do I need to put up in my life to guard my heart? I can't prescribe those for you, okay? You just need to sit down and be honest with yourself and put your heart out before the Lord and saying, God, where am I an influencer and where am I being influenced? If so, I gotta set up, I gotta set up this watchtower, I gotta set up some barbed wire and keep some distance right there, right? Because I gotta guard my heart. Why? Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. And so what do I have to do to, 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 to keep a pure heart? I have to, I have to get a pure heart, I have to guard that pure heart, and then I have to gut the competition. Now, I choose that word on purpose, and not just because I'm a preacher and we like to have things that start with the same letter, and it starts with the G. No, <laughs> I chose that word gut because it's violent. It's vicious, it's passionate, it's action, it's hostile. Because here's the deal, guys. You can't, you can't just passively escort your sin out the door. It won't go. You gotta gut it. You gotta gut it. So we gotta guard our hearts from new things getting in, but then we gotta turn around and deal with what's already in there. Because there's some stuff already in there. And here's the deal, guys. Some, some of y'all, you came to Christ and you already had a past and you just added God to your past. And you didn't get rid of your past. Others of you, things have moved in along the way. But let me just say this, guys. Jesus does not like roommates. 
Jesus don't want roommates. Listen, there is one throne in your life. And the problem is for a lot of us, it's Jesus with about 12 other demons sitting on his lap. Jesus doesn't want roommates. And a pure heart is one without pollution, without division, without distraction. A pure heart is a heart that only belongs to God. Only belongs to God. And some of you are like, that's so unrealistic. I know you can't do it in your own strength. That's why we have to have the Holy Spirit come along. You can't self-control your way to purity. You can't. Only the Holy Spirit, partnership with him, can produce that on the inside of us. So what we have to do, we have to attack and we have to gut the competition for God inside our lives. In fact, John writes this. John is like the disciple John, the one who walked with Jesus. By the time we get here in 1 John, John is like the great-grandfather of the church. He's very likely the only one still living who saw Jesus face to face. He's like 80, 85 years old here in 1 John. And he writes, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Anything. In fact, the, the truer, maybe, maybe if we went inside the Greek, what John is actually saying here uh, to the letter, he's saying, dear children, keep your heart free from idols. That word is actually idols, but John defines what an idol is. An idol is anything that might take God's place in your heart. And so an idol is anything where, where, where anything outside of Jesus is trying to come in and set up shop inside your life. And John's saying, hey, you got to get it out, guys. You got to get out whatever's competing in your heart against God. So here's the question. What's in your heart that's an enemy of God? What's in your heart that would, that would keep your heart from being pure? Again, I'm not just talking about the outward actions. Why? Because this produces what you do with this. Lots of times we're always trying to like, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? I need to stop doing that. I need some filters on this. I need some accountability over here. That's awesome. But sometimes we got to trace it back to where it actually begins and it begins in the heart. What's actually going on inside here that's producing what I do with this? So what's competing in our hearts against God? There's, there's so many things, but I just, I find like three different groupings I wanna give you today, just for a second. What's the first thing that's competing in our hearts against God? Sinful motives. Sinful motives. I believe what Jesus is talking about right here with purity of heart. Purity of heart has less to do with what we actually do and more with why we do what we do. So why do we do what we do? Because again, man looks at the outside. So I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. You, your friends, your family doesn't even know why you're doing what you're doing. But you know why you're doing what you're doing. And even more importantly than that, the Lord does, right? So, so maybe it plays out like this. I'm just gonna step on it. Everybody's does, including mine. Oh, I'm here today to serve. No... You're here to be seen. And I'm here to be patted on the back and I'm here to feel important. And I'm actually here so I can post later online with a selfie of myself and feel self-righteous. That's why I'm really here. Oh, I'm just saying this because I love you. No, you're just actually saying that to control somebody and to manipulate them and get them to do what you want them to do rather than what God wants them to do. Oh, it's, it's late, but I'm just gonna get online and check some email real quick. No, you wanna look at porn. <laughs> and so you lie to yourself. But you know what you're about to do, but you work out this narrative inside to somehow trick your body into doing what your heart wants to do. 
oh, I'm just gonna go here with my girlfriend, just gonna go here with my boyfriend, just gonna go here. I know I'm married, but I'm just gonna go out to lunch with this person from work. Just, just you know, talk about business stuff. No, no, you're moving towards an affair, and you know it. It's about the motive of the heart. Don't be surprised. Nobody stumbles into adultery. <laughs> Work back about a month, three months, six months, 12 months, and you can see the conversations going. And then you trace it all the way back, and it starts going into, well, me and my spouse were having arguments. And you keep going back, and what you find is a heart that's not satisfied in God. We have to check our motives and bring our motives to the Lord and let them gut it. Gut all those selfish motives and replace it with a pure heart. What's the competition? It's, it's sinful motives. It's selfishness. Selfishness. You know, uh, there, there's many expressions of this. I, th I think, you know, one of the most ones in our face, Jesus talks about this later in the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll spend more time on it. Um, but he says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evils, evils in our life, right? Don't misquote it. It's not the source of all evil. That's dumb. That's, that's, that's church and ease. That's not biblical. But it's the sort of all sorts of evils. It's the root of all sorts of evils in our life. And so what, it, what it's doing, we trace that back. We trace our greed back. And what we find is a heart that just wants to accumulate, 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 accumulate because I'm not receiving satisfaction in God. So I got to kind of prop my life up to make myself feel better about myself like I've actually worth something, right? And, and, and so again, I know, I know this feels, this sounds jaded whenever a pastor, but uh, you know, detach me from this just for a second. But this is why it's so important for us to tithe, for why it's so important for us to be generous, okay? Why, why? Because wherever our treasure is, there our hearts will be also, right? So if our treasure is only in my car, in my house, in my stuff, in my clothes, down here, then your hearts will only be down here. But if I actually wanna have a liberated, pure heart, I have to give to things that actually matter in eternity because then my heart will follow it. If you want a pure, this is why at the, at the, at the root of a, of a pure heart is a heart that's generous, not just at the church, but in life. Right? In life, in life, in life. And here, you, you, you want to know what a test looks like? It's tax return season. <laughs> oh, but I just, I wanted to upgrade that. I want to buy three more of these. That's fine. But what's the Holy Spirit saying? What's the Holy Spirit saying? How do I get a pure heart and keep a pure heart? I got to gut the competition, guys. That, those sinful motives, that, that, selfishness, that selfishness and the third thing, I, I have to deal with syncretism. Okay, syncretism is this wicked competition in our heart against God. So syncretism, um, it, at the root of it, syncretism is marrying together different religions to form some sort of like Frankenstein faith. <laughs> little different parts, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of New Age little bit of uh, relativistic uh, humanism, uh, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, right? A, a lot of these little things. And then I slap a Jesus bumper sticker on it and I call it Christianity. That's syncretism. And syncretism is the number one thing that God deals with in the entire Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament. Because what happened was the people of God want the one true living God and we also want our cultural gods. And that's all throughout the Bible. God's attacking that. 
saying you want me, but you also want that, them. You want, you want that stuff right there. And this is what I call a Christian plus. You know what a Christian plus is? It's a Christian and. Not a Christian. Christian is somebody who has sole faith in Jesus Christ. I got one throne in my life. Jesus is sitting on it. A Christian and is a syncretistic Christian. A Christian and is somebody who says, I'm a Christian and I have my sin. Come on, I'm gonna hit it again. I'm a Christian and I sleep with my boyfriend. I'm a Christian and I'm living an active homosexual lifestyle. I'm a Christian and I practice witchcraft. We had, we had somebody, and bless the Lord if you're here today, God loves you. We, we had somebody who got really upset at Summer lately because she talked about witchcraft. And they were like, how dare you? That is part of my culture. I don't give a... Y'all about to make me cuss up here. I don't give a rip what your culture says. I care about what Christ says. Christ over culture, not culture over Christ. Not culture over Christ. Never culture over Christ. I don't care if your culture says, well, we can have four husbands, four wives. I don't care what your culture says. You run your culture through the Bible and whatever's left, you get to keep. That's what happens. That's what culture is. I love culture. Culture is powerful, but culture can corrupt you in the very most part of who you are because it's accepted. It's the soup that you swim in. Everybody else is doing it, but God called you to come out from them and be separate. God called you to come out and do it different. And we cannot have Jesus and our cultural gods. So you cannot be a Christian who also does horoscopes. I'm sorry. Scripture very clearly talks about it. Actually, I'm not sorry. I'm sorry because it's going to hurt you to give up some of these things in your life, but it's divine surgery and it's worth it. I'm a Christian and I have my sin. I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm a Christian and I follow the religion of LGBTQ. Oh, that's, that's not a religion. Well, yeah, we, we have group meetings and we have our creed and we get together for events and parades and we hold each other accountable and we, we kick out the non-followers. It's a religion. Oh, that hurts. I, you know, just send your email to me later. I'm a Christian and I follow the religion of Trumpism. Listen, it's not a religion. Okay, well, let's just expand it out. Politics, whatever tribe you follow. All right, we have our group threads and we have our events that we go to. Some of them make the news, some of them don't. And we kick out the non-followers and we hold each other accountable. It's your religion. It's what I talk about all the time. Thing that gets me excited, things that gets me down, things that gets me offended. It's your religion. I'm a Christian and I manifest. Now, here's the deal. Send them to, I don't know, I'm not going to tell you what to Send the emails to. No, but listen, listen. Here, here's the deal. Especially if you've been in church for a long time, um, that word manifest has been hijacked. Okay, so manifest, there's a pure meaning to manifest. Manifest is God's going to manifest his power. He's going to manifest his greatness. He's going to manifest his promises. He's going to manifest the life of Jesus through your life. Awesome. But that word's been hijacked. 
And so now that word manifest actually is, is associated with what's called the power of attraction or the secret. And what it is, is say, it's naming and claim it, tapping into universal energies. It's new age. It's saying, I'm gonna manifest a raise. I'm gonna manifest my greatness. You have no greatness. You are nothing, have nothing, and can do nothing <laughs> apart from Christ. Every good thing comes from him. And so guys, being a Christian plus has to go. It has to go. Because being pure in heart means being without mixture. Being without mixture. And what else is in that, that, that cookie bowl with the recipe of your heart? What's getting mixed into that? Whatever it is, if it's not one ingredient, Jesus Christ, it's got to go. You got to gut it. You got to kick it out. Got to get out those selfish motives. Got to get out those lustful intents. Got to get rid of those greedy motives. All the wicked things that just kind of work their way in over time and just become part of who we are. And we rationalize and we come into church and we lift up our hands but, and we come near to God with our lips but our hearts are far from him. It's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to go. Why? Because we want to see God. We want to see God. Can we just say it just for a second? Like, listen, can we deal with this like broken churchianity that some of us, we just live in these seven day cycles and we think that like being a Christian is like, I go to church one time and I'm trying to be a good person. No, man, I want to see God. Listen, this, this thing is about dull, dry, boring, just trying to be a good person, go through the right steps. No, I want to see God. I want to see God. Psalm 24. Verse three, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in this holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear deceitfully. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can see God? The one who has a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the reward for the pure in heart is the greatest reward that anyone could ever receive. The greatest promotion anybody could ever receive. We will see God. And we will see God in this life. Listen, here's what I mean. We'll see. Here's what I've discovered about myself. When I am walking the most pure before God, when I, when I am guarding my heart to be diligent about it, when I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit to gut these things and get them out, and my motives are being purified, my heart's being purified, I begin to see God everywhere. Listen, like, I, I see God in my marriage. I see God in the intimacies producing this covenant between us. I see God in my kids. When they start living out the life of Christ, things that I've never even taught them. I see God when I'm outside and I see the sunset and I just praise God, praise God for another day. Praise God. I see God in miracles. I see God when he liberates people and sets them free. I see God when I read the Bible. I see God when we're in here and we're in worship. And I look around the room and what I see on your face is the resurrected Jesus. The fact that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And I see him in prayer. And guys, here, here's the thought, guys. There is a place in life where you are so experiencing God and so seeing God that honestly, honestly, hear this the right way. 
it wouldn't even change anything if he just walked into the room because you're already seeing him. You're seeing him. Because blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So we will see him in this life and we will see him in the life to come. There is a moment, um, you just have to go there later, in Exodus 33, where God's about to take the, the, the Israelites into the promised land. And, 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 and God says, hey, you guys gonna go ahead and go, Moses. You just take them in there, but I'm not gonna go. And Moses is like, well, God, I don't wanna go unless you go. And he says, no, no, you are really sinful. I'll probably just kill all of you if I, if I go. So I'll just stay back. And Moses is like, no, God, we'll wander around in the wilderness for another 40 years with you. Because I'd rather be lost in the wilderness with God than have it all without God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Because better is one day in this course than a thousand days elsewhere. And so, so God, I love this, he relents. And he's like, okay, I'll go with you. And then just instinctively, off the cuff, I, don't, I think Moses just lost his mind for a second. And he says, he says God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God's like, oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. <laughs> Moses, I can't do that. I would kill you if I just showed up in my glory. I'm too much. I'm just too much. <laughs> All right, I love it. And so what he does there in Exodus 33, he says, here's what I'll do. I'm gonna take you and I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of a rock. And I'm just gonna cause my name to come past you. <laughs> and in some way that human words can't do it justice, like Moses sees God's back as he passes by and he comes down from that place and he is like on fire. Like everybody is like putting on sunglasses because he is shining with glory because he's been around God. It was the cry of Moses' heart to see God. And even though, even though we cannot see God in his fullness today, there is coming a day we will. And Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And especially at that time, mirrors were, were dusty. You could barely see in them, but they were just a little bit. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Today, let me say it like this. We can only see God's shadow. God's fingerprints, God's echo. We, we, we can only see little glimpses here and there. Maybe in nature, maybe in your marriage, maybe in, in miracles here and there. But there is coming a day when we will see him face to face. We will stand in his presence. And on that day, the angels will stand and say, congratulations. Blessed are the pure in heart, for you're about to see God. So what is our simple response? 1 John 3, 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. To get a pure heart, to guard a pure heart, to gut the competition. Got to purify ourselves. Why? Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God.
Let's pause right here and let's purify our hearts. Father, we hear the call, we hear the question, Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in your holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so today, God, we cry out like the psalmist. And we say, God, create in me a pure heart, oh God. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. Because I want to see God. And so before we can kick out the competition, we first, we have to get a pure heart, okay? So here's the deal. I don't know how you came in here. I don't, I don't know if you're, this is your first time, your hundredth time. I don't know if you're raised in church or the first time even beginning to hear the, the gospel of what, the work that Jesus did. Maybe some of you, you've been in church a long time, but it's just been a head thing. You believed in your head. It was like it was a fact out there, but it never actually became at the center of who you are in your heart, influencing everything about you. And today God's calling and he's saying, hey, I wanna take out a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I wanna give you a new pure heart through faith in Jesus. And so if that's you today, if you say, hey, today I need to put my faith in Jesus and get a new heart, I wanna invite you just wherever you're at, just so I know who I'm talking to. Can you raise your hand? Yeah, that's a lot of us, guys. That's a lot of us, that's awesome. I see you, you can put your hands down. I see you, I see you, I see you. Here's what we're gonna do, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna pray this prayer, but Again, here's the idea of a prayer, is a prayer has to originate in the truth of the heart. So if you can pray this from the center of who you are, I invite you to pray with me. And so let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, today I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart at the center of who I am that the Father raised you from the dead. I believe Jesus went to the cross for the sins of the world and my sins, and those sins have been paid for. And Jesus is alive. So right now, I turn from those deeds of darkness. I turn from my sin, from my syncretism, from my selfish motives, from my sinful heart. And I turn to Jesus. I put my faith in you. I give you my heart. I give you the real me. Come in, take out my old stony heart and give me a new pure heart. Right now, I am born again and I am perfect forever because of Jesus and I'm being made holy. God, we've been made perfect forever and we're being made holy. So right now, God, we, we ask that you would come and search our hearts. And you're beginning to identify some things that need to go. We need some divine heart surgery here over these next few minutes. God, to tear down some strongholds, to get rid of some competition in our hearts on the throne. Maybe we've been into some some sinful lifestyle things on the outside, but it's because there's some sinful stuff happening on the inside that needs to get dealt with. 
And so today, God, help us to deal with it. Help us to be pure in heart because we want to see God. In Jesus' name. So here's what we're gonna do, okay? We're gonna spend just about three or four minutes. We're gonna allow God to do some heart surgery. And this is not just for those people. This is like for every single one of us. There's some things that need to be dealt with in our hearts between our motives, our actions, whatever it is. We're gonna allow the Lord to do it, okay? So here's what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you to take a posture, whatever feels appropriate. Some of you just stay in your seat. Some of you need to stand up. Some of you, I felt this very uniquely. Some of you need to get out of your seat and you need to come up here because for too long, you've been drawing near to God with your lips, but your hearts have been far from Him. And wherever you're at in this spectrum, I invite you to do business with God today because blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. They will see God. So let's worship. Amen.